Hello, and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. This is episode 42. This episode, we are talking to Ben Kerslake of Carrington Lime about treating damp with lime plaster, among other lime geekery. Before I introduce Ben, there's a little bit of great podcast news. Building Sustainability Podcast is a finalist in the ASBP 2021 Awards, which are ideas for a better built environment. So the ASBP is the Alliance for Sustainable Building Products. Yeah, I'm so, so honoured to be in the final uh, with five other great projects. I'm feeling a little bit of imposter syndrome, if I'm honest. Yeah, not really sure what I'm doing there. But yeah, as I say, totally honoured that, you know, this hard work has has been sort of recognised and people think it's a good thing. So as part of the ASBP's Healthy Building Conference, I will be presenting Building Sustainability um, uh, along with the other finalists, we get a, a 10 minute slot where you can see a video that I produced. I do a talk and then there's some questions. And then at the end of the presentations, there is a people's vote, um, which will be announced actually just, just a few minutes afterwards. So the people's vote will be announced and the judge's decision as well. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, so if you'd like to attend this event, it's online, obviously. There is the Healthy Buildings Conference is on the 24th of February and the awards ceremony is on the 25th. So that's Thursday, the 25th of February, 2021. Um, it's free if you want to come along. Uh, you'll see myself and five other excellent projects present a little bit about what they're doing. Um, and there is a link to register in the show notes. Obviously, if you fancy voting for Building Sustainability, I definitely won't dissuade you, but uh, you should definitely uh, vote for who you think is the best. Okay, so Ben Kerslake from Carrington Lime. Uh, This is from the About section on Carrington Lime's website. The aim of Carrington Lime is to promote the use of traditional building methods and materials in a modern way. Love it. That's what I'm all about too. So this conversation gets pretty nerdy. I know that lime as a building material can be quite a confusing topic. Uh, it's one of those topics that I think you learn a little bit more every time you read or hear about it. And then that gives you more questions and then you realise that it's actually quite a big and complex thing. So often in this conversation we'll go into different types of lime uh, and their properties. And Ben does a really great job of describing the different types in respect to their compressive strength. Um, and I just wanted to add to that, that tied to the compressive strength of different limes is their vapour permeability. And generally speaking, softer limes are more vapour permeable and harder limes are less vapour permeable. And I guess I also wanted to just clarify, Ben uses the term breathability uh, to describe vapour permeability. And breathability is is kind of the industry term for vapour permeability, but it's a slightly confusing one and slightly misleading. So if you don't know what breathability means, then I think you'd probably assume it's something to do with air movement. And actually, it's about moisture movement. So, I mean, as I'm sure we're all aware at the moment, having to wear face masks when we go shopping, when we're breathing out, you're exhaling a lot of moisture. And so your mask gets hot and wet uh, and your glasses are fogging up so that's that's the moisture that's being breathed out um, and that's what we mean by breathability um, so i'll chuck some links to lime theory and vapor permeability in the the show notes if you want to learn some more okay on with the episode and i'm back at the end uh, to tell you how you can get 60 whole pounds for free for making the world a better place and this isn't some sort of scam. It's actually just a really nice thing to do. Uh, so enjoy the episode and I'll see you at the end. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, I, I got I left school and went straight into uh, um, building um, with a with a friend and roofing natural slate roofing, um, and then I moved to Southwest Wales. So I think that was so ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so just turning twenty, I think, and uh, and ended up uh, I, I was working with a company that did barn renovations. And in a very sort of modern way. So using what, what sort of materials? So we'd, it would generally go in and, and sort of batten up the internal walls of these beautiful stone barns um, and layer them up with plastic and DPC, maybe put a bit of insulation in or um, Celotex or, and, uh, and then plasterboard them and skim them and instantly, and we were doing that with the floors and the walls um, and instantly even putting the plastic up and, and putting the timber over it, you could see the condensation buildup was, was instantly huge with all of us working in there. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to sort out damp problems a lot of the time because there was cement pointing and just trapping moisture. And it just looks really sort of strange, uh, really wrong. And, um, and then we started, put, we'd put a breathable membrane in the, in the, in the roof and the ceiling so I remember one day saying, well, if we're putting a, a breathable membrane on the roof, why don't we put it on the walls? And it was just like, oh, stop asking stupid questions, Ben. It was just like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I think that might have just got me started, really. It yeah. was, uh, and then finding that kind of a few, maybe a few years later, once, once we finally got the internet, then that was it. I was able to sort of um, explore it a bit more. Mm. And looking at the different mixes that were that were used in Wales, southwest wales then and the, the cement we were putting in and how very different it was and and the problems it caused so you're in southwest wales doing barn renovations and then how did you end up uh where are you now gloucester gloucester way yeah Trenton? it's forest of dean nice so um the chap that i was working with then um his son was um was a uh, he's a good friend of mine and we started to talk about sort of the lime and stuff and and um and uh, the boss had, had given us some jobs to do, just me and the boss's son, Toby, um, to just do some lime jobs. And it started from there, really. Right. Um, and then I'd, I'd worked with a few companies that were doing lime in Wales. And um, I worked for um, Griff Rees-Jones doing a project down there. Um, his, um the Pembrokeshire Farm series that was on, on okay. TV. I, I saw so, his, uh, his uh, what do you call it? the feedback on your website that came from Griff Rees Jones. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was, I was like, is that, could that be the same? So yes, yes, it is. Yes. Yes. So that, that was good. Actually. He, he, um, there was a farmhouse, a mill, a beautiful old mill, um, 
and a cottage and a load of barns that we we worked on over a good few years and he just gave us free reign really the the um the nice. site manager um she was she was great she just we were able to put all put our ideas in and um so it was a really nice project to work on and time was no issue oh a dream money, yeah and money wasn't so much of an issue either and they were making the tv program about it as well so and then well they kind of the um the cameraman kind of pinched my laborer and gave him this sort of 10 grand camera to keep to to film when he wasn't there so i kind of lost the laborer who became a, <laughs> um a, a film a cameraman and then yeah so he was constantly being interviewed as well because he was the only one that could that was any any good on telly the rest right. of us whenever there's a camera pointed at us we just went to pieces so none of us the only thing the only time I got onto the, the TV was walking past with a, a wheelbarrow and then putting a timber beam in because everything I said was just, I just went to pieces because of the camera. I had the exact same thing. I remember <laughs> being in Utah and they they filmed like maybe four or five people who were on the building site and then used everyone else except me. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank goodness for that. Nice. Um, okay, where were we? So you uh, you sort of develop starting your your journey into into lime and uh, and better building. Yeah. So we um, working with uh, Griffiths Jones. That was that was really good. Um, and then after that project started to come to a close, um, and there was a, I ended up with the opportunity to come up towards Gloucester to work. Um, I worked with another company that we were just just um, spraying lime renders, but um, it was just lime putty and the only aggregate was stone dust. Okay. Um, which was, which was really good. And uh, that worked really well um, in most situations, but whenever there was any sort of slight damp in the walls or it didn't get a chance to dry out because the putty needs to, it needs to dry to carbonate. So if there's any water or excess water still in the, in the, the render and in the putty then it just doesn't have a chance to carbonate so then you end up getting some bad weather or it goes through a winter and you get failures so we it, it, i was working there for quite a few years but it throughout the different places i've been working i've been seeing failures through damp in all sorts of situations through the the wrong materials whether that be cement um, and different types of lime when lime does fail so i was in a really fortunate position even though it felt like a nightmare to deal with all these failures um all the time to kind of get a good understanding of what how materials were working and how damp was moving through walls and and uh, and the rest of it really so Mm -hmm. after working there i started we started carrington lime kate and i my wife and mainly it was um it, it was fixing damp problems Okay. Um, so then we got to see a really good range of, of damp in different buildings and that all the other damp proofing techniques that, that had been happening since well, <laughs> some really good ones in the seventies and uh, just crazy stuff that we saw not working. Yeah. Um, and how we could, how we could work that out. Nice. Um, and so, some of the crazy things like the, um, um, the wo- so weaving copper cables, through walls like drilling a drilling electro electrolysis okay so i think it still may go on but it was definitely big in the 70s where there was i've seen it a lot where these copper cables are woven through the base of a wall at at every six to eight inches so drilling holes through this solid wall just Mm. destroying the wall to put to weave this copper cable through to kind of plug it into the ground okay or um, to try and stop damp, which obviously didn't work. Um, even t- then to the modern side where they're it's in, it's silicone injection that just mm. is, I mean, it's the same thing where they're drilling holes every six to eight inches, squeezing some silicone in and expecting it to completely make a barrier mm-hmm. so that no water or damp can, can wick up through the, the material, which again is, we see it rarely well if ever working so yes i've, I've seen certainly more problems than uh, than solutions with that stuff yes 
Um, so what is, uh, do you have like an, a typical type of building that you're working on in that area? Like an um, age or? We've, where we've got everything from the sort of more modern solid walls to even cavity walls um, from 1920s, 1930s that still use lime. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in Cheltenham, but what we've found in Cheltenham, there's the mixes are, are very um, sandy and silty. So they don't even have much clay and, and very little lime. Um, so they really suffer from from the damp because the silt just seems to hold on to that moisture. Mm. Um, and whereas clay can get damp but still retain some strength, the silt, so you end up, you can grab a brick and just kind of, just kind of right. move it from side to side. And so when you've got cement renders on the outside and plastic paints that just hold that moisture in even more and then whatever on the inside. So, yeah, we see a lot of, um, a lot of problems in, in Cheltenham with those houses moving a hell of a lot yeah, and needing some to sort of get the bricks back into some sort of compression before we even start rendering and plastering. To the houses in the Forest of Dean, which um, are beautifully cut sandstone that's um, really quite hard, but the mortar has to work extremely hard because of those bricks, those, those stones are quite, sandstone is quite impervious. So that mm-hmm. you need a softer and um, a softer mortar and, and plaster and render to uh, allow moisture to move through through that rather than the, than the stone. Yeah. So yeah, a bit of bit of everything. Sort of with the and definitely we have a lot of uh, these kind of hidden timber frames um, that the old uh, ship timbers were used in that um, you don't see from the outside. It just looks like a an old brick building, but inside they've got all sorts of amazing timber work like from cruck frames inside so so all sorts where they just had i suppose they weren't allowed to use the timber from the forest um, mm. and it was all second-hand ship timbers that were used so whatever the size and shape of the timber was kind of used wherever it was needed so so we've got some really interesting architecture and um so we see a lot it's uh, so which is nice it's no sort of one um one type of building or one one issue so that's why we we're very open to the materials that we use that we're not just constantly using right we have to use a putty or mm-hmm. a hotline for everything because that's not going to work um, yeah. we need to use we need to look at it holistically and and um maybe slow down the rates of absorption by using a, a hydraulic lime and then we can tweak the, the strength of that with the mix and by adding clay and and looking at what's already there, because a lot of the, the mortar that we've got and the plasters and renders are sort of clay-based with a little bit of lime in. Yeah. Um, and, and very little sand, usually. It's, oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. it's. Um, I mean, you vary, when you break down some of the um, original 200-year-old, 150-plus, it's very rarely got much sand in it might have some bigger stone and aggregate and stone dust but usually it's very clayey with sort of stone waste mm. um and maybe some clinker and um what is, what is clinker so um the solid pieces that um when you've had a, a furnace or oh, you've been burning yes. charcoal or coal i think so they're very sort of solid bits of um burnt charcoal or, or maybe coal Okay. Um, which we find still in in the mixes with with solid bits of um, uh, lime, unburnt lime mm-hmm. um, that was uh, mixed as a hot lime for the mortar. And whether they used the clinker as a pot slan to to set the um, for the hot lime to to, to become hydraulic, because mm. when you look at the historical mixes, and we think that just putty is a is a historical mix, but a lot of the time, well that putty was made with in in a, a kiln um, with, with the um, charcoal, which worked as a pot slant. So the, these these hot limes are always, and, and these limes are always had a hydraulic element to it. Mm-hmm. And then the other things they were adding. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, very, very clay mixes or very, um, if they're a bit cleaner with less clay in, clay in, they add a lot of stone dust in. 
So really light coloured mm. um, with very yeah. little sand. Love the, the sort of yeah, regional variations. Like, yeah, that's going to be quite a specific area where you're finding those those sort of lime uh, yeah, with the clinker. And yeah, it makes very localised knowledge. I like that. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, And even from, from, yeah, the difference from sort of the time scales and from, from Cheltenham where it's just really sandy, silty stuff they had around with and they, they put a very little lime in i think at the time when they were building the majority of cheltenham it was they were firing it up it was as quick as possible just get them built um and the base coats are all the same material are they really um yeah so i mean if they get damp they're they're and then they're usually gypsum plastered over so um all the ground store is um it's generally gone but um but higher up above 1.2 meters where they usually sort of try and tank it it's yeah. it's a lot of the time it's still intact so yeah um, oh, i like i like that element of um kind of your know, sort of historian almost you know looking at, at or archaeologist maybe like looking at the the little details and sort of figuring out uh how things were you know you know back in the day yeah that's and that really makes me realize how sort of sort of um short-sighted the kind of industry can be even the sort of the, the lime industry that it's that we think there's just this this one this one size fits all even with the lime so it's like mm. uh, it's, they've been talking recently about it's just putty you can only use putty but um we've got this we've got this whole range of materials we can use from a, a putty that might be um a compressive strength of of maybe one and then a, a nhls that have the compressive strength of two to a five and then we've got the, the natural cement like prompt that's probably a, a 12 um and then the some of the older um cements that are pre-1950 and before that that are probably maybe a, a a 25 or something that actually do still work quite well on some of these buildings because they are breathing and mm. fairly well until they get painted with plastic paints all the way up to maybe um like a a compressive strength of a rating of, of 50 for a modern um, Portland cement. And we've got this whole range, this amazing range. And then we've got clay, um, which I've been listening to your podcast and getting quite excited <laughs> about again, because that was what my first sort of love of, um, of building was sort of the natural building and using clays and straw bales and things, which I don't get to do so much or much at all now. Yeah, because you, um, you built your own straw bale house, is that right? Yes. Yeah, it was, um, I'd, yeah, that was when I was down in Southwest Wales mm-hmm. and, um, I'd, yeah, seen a few, I, th- I don't know what got me started. Maybe it was a few gr- grander signs. I, might, I think I saw Ben Law yep. build his, um, <laughs> round wood and I was just, I have to do that. Um, that's so, yeah, why I, I became a, <laughs> uh, a natural builder. <laughs> I just thought it was just so, so amazing. And um, and what it's all about, I think, yeah, because in 95, I went to India for a few months and um, I saw sort of the kind of natural materials being used and, and lived in. And um, I, I think that probably affected me quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I ended up moving into a housing co-op down there, which is beautiful old mansion farmhouse uh, three stories and um and we tried to sort of live much more sustainably um which we found out was really hard if you're not in a, a village doing yeah. it and then have the support of all the different trades and um but that that was really good so yeah i i had to build a straw bale house so um dug out the foundation hired a mini digger dug out the foundations used that as um my uh, render and plaster and just i didn't sieve it at all i just kind of whacked it into a i had a bath with a fire because it was i think we ended up plastering in the winter so i had a bath with a fire a steel or a steel bath with a fire underneath it to warm the plaster nice. <laughs> so we had this steaming clay hot clay plaster. mixes that's oh, not a lovely. thing we, that's not a thing we do is it that's <laughs> yeah so yeah it was uh, you've got to experiment but so yeah, just whacking that on the walls, and then, um, and because I'd never done it before, it was just why the books I'd 
I'd read and the internet. Um, so when, when I had some gaps um, for, because I managed to get some sash windows, ridiculously cheap. I think I got about six floor to ceiling sash windows for 150 quid from the reclaim yard. Nice. Um, so they just went in floor to ceiling from, well, roof plate to, to floor plate. They went in, and so any gaps, I, I, I had a load. Of, we had a hazel coppice there, so we we just uh, sort of tacked the hazel in to the roof plate and the wall plate, and just tacked uh, um, sidebars in, mm-hmm. and um, and plastered all that with the clay and, and straw mixes, and so yeah, I really that's why I loved, and yeah, that was great fun, <laughs> and uh, yeah, an earth floor. But I didn't realise after listening to your. Um, um podcast with um the earth floor lady about oh, using Sukita. the yes yeah. using the um linseed oil i wish i'd known about that then because i just had a finished earth floor and obviously it was dusty but yeah we put a rug yeah. down and it was um yeah it was uh it was lovely with a, nice. uh, we, we had a rayburn business at the housing co-op yeah um so i managed to get a, a, a free rayburn and a, my mate plumbed it in for nothing um so yeah we had uh it was and it just stayed so warm and it was like this is i've lived in so many because i was renting throughout that time um, renting these houses that just worked terribly that i couldn't afford to heat um and and we got in this straw bale house that i'd made for kind of 1500 quid and it was amazing it was just warm it was comfortable it was beautiful it was um yeah, so yeah. That, it definitely started the. Um, I think that's what started me off. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us, we're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. I wanted to go back to uh, damp proofing, partly because on your website it says, don't get you started about damp proofing. (laughs) And uh, that's that's exactly what I want to do. Okay, excellent. Yeah. What do you do when you go into a building that's got damp? What are you looking for? Um, so usually we go in and generally it's had modern materials put on um, mm-hmm. and that's what's failing because um, the amount of times where the, the client's really worried because the paint won't stay on the walls, it's bubbling off, the plaster's breaking down, the salts from the plaster are just coming out and, and fluorescing all that so you've got inch thick well centimeter thick salts on the walls coming out in patches everywhere and they think they've got a horrific damp damp problem mm-hmm. um and even sometimes sort of the black the black molds on the surface um which some of those black molds contribute to sick building syndrome and are, are horrific for your health and we go in and and instantly i'll, I'll know whether there's actual damp in the wall or whether it's just the materials just gypsum holding mm-hmm. holding condensation and generally most of the time it's probably 80 90 percent of the time it's the walls are dry it's just gypsum the gypsum on the surface of some lime or some cement base coat that's just holding moisture mm-hmm. um, and once the gypsum um gets some excess moisture in it it might even be there's been a few patch repairs made with gypsum and it's not actually had the chance to dry out before it's attracting condensation because as soon as you've got a cold area on your wall um it can only it only needs to be a few degrees colder um or maybe have a bit of damp in it which makes it a few degrees colder and the warm moist air from a normal environment from from the um, the room just condensates on it um, and it just takes mm-hmm. it on board um, and then when it dries out and because gypsum so seems to be so full of of salts or minerals that it it'll 
the condensation will happen. It will bring salts to the surface. And even if you don't see them, um, they, they come to the surface um, through the evaporation and they instantly attract condensation again. It's the same as if you have yeah. salt, an open salt bowl in your kitchen. Um, it instantly just gets wet because it, it's, it's exactly the same mm. thing in the walls. And even if you don't see the, the salt fluorescing on the surface, if you scratch it, you can hear that kind of a, a different sound. It's like a crystal, crystalline sound. So it's got a, a ring to it or not. A, it just sounds different to the rest of the plaster. Mm-hmm. And usually just taking that off, even if it's only a few mil, um, it's bone dry underneath. Um, and it's just replacing that with um, a breathable plaster that um yeah that isn't full of salts or minerals then it just works perfect instant it's an instant fix so nice if you have uh if you have a really bad damp problem where there's a lot of moisture coming up into the wall and the wall is soaked you'll really know about it because it will be covered in sort of the black molds and it's really evident so these small little strange patches are generally just gypsum plaster not working very well it's just a really bad material especially on a solid wall yeah um i think probably quite a lot of people might not have realized that uh well would have assumed that if it's a damp problem it's from outside you know that's where the wet is that's where you know it's raining certainly in this country it's raining a lot um so it might be quite surprising for some people to hear that actually the damp problem is is caused by their own just living breathing yeah showering co- cooking so maybe less than maybe 95 percent of um issues are from internal damp or from ground ground levels um you do get an issue with um if people's gutterings not working and um, but that's not really down to outside damp the only sort of real outside damp issues is when you've got an exposed building probably brick um, a very soft brick that you've had maybe a week's worth of sideways rain um, in a certain position sort of maybe at the end of the the estuary here there's been a few houses I've worked on where the wind just comes straight up and when it rains it's it's raining sideways straight into the facade of the house and and the bricks get overwhelmed and there's a few damp spots that come through but if it can dry out again um, then that's fine. But if it's got gypsum inside, it's it's never it's never going to get the chance to dry out. So um, it just holds mm-hmm. on to moisture like uh, nothing I've ever seen. So yeah, generally it's it's internal um, internal issues because you get a lot of damp proofing. Which when you buy a house and get a mortgage, sometimes you're forced just because the mortgage advisor chap that comes out to check the house who knows nothing about building architecture or damp, has a little moisture meter that's designed to be used on wood, sticks it into the wall once and says, oh, yeah, you got it's a couple of, couple of percent higher. That, so you've got damp. You need to spend thousands um, on this house taking the plaster off to 1.2 metres up the wall. Oh, OK, height, yeah. Because damp's rising damp, mm-hmm. apparently. And... Um, <laughs> We'll get, and you, come back to that. <laughs> yeah, and um, and you need to silicone injection. Um, you need to tank it with a swimming pool material to hold the mm-hmm. moisture out. Um, and then you've got to plaster it with gypsum. So instantly you haven't you haven't dealt with the real issue, which is probably if it's damp down below, ground levels are probably too high or cement render has been cement rendered all the way to the ground, so it's, it's pulling moisture up in a capillary action, um, or there's a crack in the cement render, so it's, again, pulling moisture in. So when you've got a, cr- a crack in the cement render that's pretty impervious to moisture, it creates this capillary action where it actually pulls moisture in. And when you've got such soft materials, usually in this area, very soft brick, they just absorb this moisture and it can't escape. So then you've got your damp problem. So they haven't dealt with these issues. They've just they've just put, basically put tank in on the inside. So that cement on the outside, plastic paint, tank in on the inside, gypsum on the surface, it basically fills up. And that wall gets so wet then that it's so cold that you get 
this condensation um, that goes onto the gypsum plaster that just makes it fail instantly if it ever gets a chance to dry in the first place. And mm. you've just got an even worse problem that you spent thousands on. And it's, but you've had to do it to buy this house. So yeah. um, we've got uh, some really great um, people that are trying to change this at the minute, like Peter Ward, for one, um, that's been doing some amazing work trying to trying to get it sorted. But it seems like it's kind of just such a, a racket that um, it's it's just a nightmare. But um, Does, um, is there a, like I don't have much uh, experience with the sort of modern conventional building world is there a scenario when tanking like actually works when you say works i mean it does stop <laughs> it does hold moisture brilliantly yeah. so for swimming pools it's probably fantastic <laughs> but um it's a great... but I've, I've seen places that they've they've I, I go to some of these jobs and there's a line of damp uh, 1.2 meters across the whole room um mm-hmm because they haven't used gypsum at least they it's just cement render painted and people go well i don't know why i've got this lamp this wet stripe um and it's just yeah it's just it's it's got so wet it's risen up it's filled up to that point basically yeah and i've seen it where they've gone all the way all the way up to the first floor um and then it's driven it so far up the wall that it's, it's rotting the first floor joists in the wall because because these old buildings don't have joist hangers mm-hmm. um it's going to rot that timber. So you need, to, so even when you've got a problem property, like a basement we work on and we, we still use lime on the basement because we can't allow that, um, that moisture to, to build up enough to rot the timbers. So we need to allow it to, to come out. And if the whole walls, um, allowing moisture to come in, um, then it's not, it hasn't got a chance to build up anywhere. So it's just regulating it. And that's when we'll look at maybe slowing it, with a, an NHL base coat and then mm-hmm. a nice thick putty top coat. So it's still, um, it's slow. The base coat slowing that, that vape It's not solid water. Can't come through the NHL, mm-hmm. but, um, but vapor can. So it gets the chance to constantly, um, dry, but not get overwhelmed. And yeah. then you've still got the putty top coat to absorb any condensation and then release it and be working and um, working together as a, a really nice system. Um, nice. But, but yeah, I've, I've seen some places where the ground level is like a foot higher um, outside than inside, and it's solid. Cl- it's clay. It's holding moisture. It's they've tarmacked on top of it, um, <laughs> so it just holds it all year round, and it's feeding moisture into this wall. Um, and then there's some um, kind of tanking on the inside, and it's just it's driven it up. So the, the timbers are so wet that the plasterboard is falling down from the ceiling because it's absolutely saturated. Yeah. And the gypsum, gypsum never dries. Um, once it's wet, it's just, it's a downward spiral. So yeah, it's um, generally, it, there's some really simple things to deal with damp in solid walls mm-hmm. um, and they never involve uh, tanking gypsum or any of the modern materials. You have to let it breathe. Um, yeah. I uh, I went to see a friend of mine's. It's an old stone cottage around these parts, and uh, they'd had three or four people to come out, you know, damp specialists to come out, and they all said like, "Oh, you need to tank it," and that was their first response. And then I took a little wander around, and first of all, they're on the side of a slope, and yeah, uh, so all the water's running down the hill, and then the the ground level was probably about sort of meter, meter and a half above. Yeah, above the the bottom of the door, so yeah. all, all that moisture is coming straight into the wall. And then they were putting in a new bathroom, and they had half like half their roof off, so water was coming in. And those damp specialists never said, "Well, I'd start by closing up that big hole in your roof." <laughs> yes, yeah, it's just uh, it's madness. It's just that kind of it just it's this the same old thing right this is what you've got to do this is what, what you, you could do without ever looking at what you've got so even like mm. you say if there's the massive hole in the roof the big crack in the render the cement render all the way down to the ground different higher ground levels um and and what material it's it's built out of um because these old buildings i mean there's the constant people say oh well i've got an old building so i don't expect it to be dry it's, it's going to be wet and it's like no 
<laughs> no, actually, the solid walls are better than a cavity. A cavity is just a really bad way to build. You're designing that. So like we were talking about, all this moisture um, created inside the building that has to escape with an old building. You don't need to be constantly ventilating that that hot air that you spent a fortune trying to heat. Um, the, the building breathes for you. It, it, it absorbs that excess moisture. Um, and it either evaporates to the outside of the building or back in inside when relative humidities come down. So you're buffering the internal environment um, with your walls like a like a Gore-Tex jacket. So we really need to think of it, these buildings, old buildings, working like a Gore-Tex jacket and not a plastic anorak. Yes. Um, you're not going to want to walk up a hill with a plastic anorak on, but we're still trying to tank and render... Uh, old buildings with um with these impervious materials mm. but um yeah we really need to look at what's what's going on and what what they're built what they're built with rather than i like that it's going in there we you know with with open eyes and actually sort of assessing the place rather than going in there with a, a predetermined idea of of obviously what what you need exactly yeah and it, it usually it's pretty simple i mean it's not that there's just some some few simple things that whether yeah have you got a hole in your roof? Um, <laughs> That's probably is the, gr- water in. <laughs> is the ground level high? Um, and yeah, and, and these these renders. I mean, the most important part for a house to breathe is that the external the external facade. So mm-hmm. the moisture needs to be able to esca- escape there first. But what we seem to do, we use cement renders on the outside. Um, and then something softer, like a, a gypsum or plasterboard or whatever, on the inside, so that the path of least resistance is all resistance is always back into the the building. Yeah, um, where it should be the other way around. But yes. yeah, we've got this re- funny mentality that we're f- so fearful of water getting in from outside. It's just like seal it up, <laughs> um, and it's just the opposite. Yes, I think that's hard for people to to grasp. Yeah, from sort of homeowner level to, you know, experienced builder levels. And I think certainly conventional builders, I don't think it's necessarily like their their fault that they don't know these things. Uh, It's just that maybe you can become a builder without ever without ever being taught about how moisture moves in a building. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the most it's the most money anyone would ever pay if they buy a home. And it's, um, but it's just unregulated. There's no sort of, it doesn't seem to be any sort of knowledge um, sort of spread about it or no. So when you looking at sort of the natural building side of things, the amount of knowledge that people have within it um, and the holistic approach, and even the people that, are, that want uh, a, well, eco home that is actually, um, they are actually, building it to be an eco home because it's got a low embodied energy it doesn't need a lot of energy to run it's not just like the the eco home on grand designs that's got a billion tons of poured concrete inside um polystyrene mm-hmm. lego blocks my favorite um, it's, it's it's so the understanding is there but where when you go to on the other side of it it's just it's it's so lacking which is why i've been really quite excited about um, the courses that we've been putting on, we've had a lot of the homeowners really sort of know their stuff, but then we've had a lot of plasterers on as well that they've been doing sort of damp, conventional damp proofing for 15, 20 years or whatever, and mm. realised that it's not working um, and want to find something different. And um, so it is coming round, but definitely the sort of grassroots and the ground level is there. I think the issue is with, um, like the mortgage companies and some of the sort of the, as always, the sort of bigger industry that are the, the slowest to to do anything. Because as long as they're making money and as long mm. as they've got a little sheet that exempts them from any wrong, wrongdoing, which is kind of what it's about. I had a an architect Anna, um, on one of the courses the other day and they said it's, that's all it's about is they, they don't want to change anything because as long as it's all signed off and they got the paper stamped and, it's just it doesn't matter to them um it's just an e- it's just the easy route which is kind of where we are why why we're using gypsum i mean for we had all this industrial waste from 
coal power stations, um, all the gypsum build up in the chimneys that they needed to get rid of, it would cost a fortune to, to bury it in the ground. So let's give it to people to, to cover their houses in and, and live in. Is that, um, is that where it the, came from? Yeah. I had no idea about that. So um, that's so the it's only a, reason. a waste product or a byproduct? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a waste product, product from coal power stations um, and they needed a, some way to get rid of it. <laughs> Um, and which is generally the way. I mean, you look at our what, food chain. It's like we got. I mean, some of the crap that they can't bury. It's like, well, we can either feed it to them or make them live in it. Um, which, I, which is kind of that, that is the only reason I can think that we're using gypsum is because they needed to get rid of it. Yeah. It's, it doesn't work very well. It's not when it gets damp. It it stays damp. I mean, I've I put some plasterboard in my ceiling. Um, we had an, the other side of the house an extension that one of the old boys that used to live here built, and he just threw. He had these old, soft, really porous bricks kicking about. He just made a solid wall with cement, which just worked hor- horrifically. It was just cold and horrible. Nothing was breathing. The bricks were working too hard to deal with this moisture. So I plastered it inside with with lime to try and sort of deal with it, um, and then I just just for for cost because it's cheap i i put gypsum plasterboard up on the ceiling Mm. um just because it it doesn't really it's not in any contact with moisture but just because the lime took a long time to dry because it was it was winter the walls weren't breathing particularly well because even though they were nice soft bricks they were they were they used a, a hard cement to build them with um the corner the corners of these the gypsum just got cold and got a bit of condensation attracted some moisture um, and that was four nearly five years ago um, where the corners of this uh, this plasterboard got a little bit damp once before the lime yeah. was drying um, and they've just got worse the, 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 the inside the, the room it's bone dry we've got heating in there but it's just they, these patches just get bigger and where the condensation cycle goes there because they've yeah. still got a little bit of moisture in them um, they're a little bit colder. They're in the corner of the room. Boom, you get a bit of condensation on it and then it evaporates, pulls more salts to the surface, attracts more condensation because of the salts. And it's just... So what's, just, what's the remedy there? Does it take it out start again? For, for me on that little corner? Yeah. Yeah, I've just got to cut that, that wet plasterboard out because it's never going to dry. Um, it's been in a warm, dry room for nigh on four years. It's not going to dry, so I've got to cut it out and just fire some anything else in, anything, yeah. just <laughs> anything but gypsum, <laughs> and it'll work. So, yeah, well, I mean, it's the worst material to have in a building where if you do have a flood or anything, or kids chuck a bucket of water up against the wall, which mm-hmm. they like to do, it's it's got, that's it, it's had it. you got it. So, yeah. I think there's a danger to to thinking like just because it's lime, it's fine, and there is that that knowledge needed of the softness of or and you know permeability of a lime. Uh, so, like if you're building, I'm thinking particularly of a a project I did up in Scotland where we were building with this really soft zone, and the guy I was working for didn't really know what he was doing but had written heritage on the side of his van so <laughs> had had got this uh this job and building with a, a really strong nhl5 mix oh yeah and i was just like you know I, I couldn't yeah i was it was not a particularly great job i'll tell you that uh but uh yeah so like i think he was on thinking like just because it's lime it's fine Exactly, it's like yeah. you, need, you need to pair your material like your your mortar with your you know the, the building blocks yeah it's really i mean that's why we have to be so um careful around here because we've got such a a different range of um buildings and um what the buildings are built out of we've got some really hard forest um sandstone that probably is a like a relative to if it was if you gauged it in strength to a hydraulic lime um, and your compressive strength it's probably um like an nhl 20 or 30 Mm -hmm. it's really hard but then you've got some of these um handmade soft 
clay bricks um, that can be easily 200 years old. Um, and they're so, so, they're basically just slight, they're, they're fired, but some of them, some of them in the, the kilns they would have built, um, some of them would have been really close to the fire um, and some of them would have been packed out quite far away. So you've got a real big discrepancy of, of how hard these bricks are because of how hot they've been fired. So and some of them might be probably not much um, stronger than a, um, an NHL one or two or, or putty. It's mm-hmm. um, they're, they're really soft. So um, this is why we've had to, to look at the um, the mixes that we've been using and maybe using a putty or a, um, using stone dust as a as a mild poslan mm-hmm. um, with the putties and hot limes to to make them still set a bit quicker. Um, if needed, but still be soft enough or using a, a hydraulic lime and softening it with the, um, the ratio, the ratios of, of sand to lime we're using or aggregate to lime we're using and softening it with some clay or stone dust or, um, because there is a huge difference and it's really hard to, to know offhand, but, um, yeah, it does. Yeah. We're just, everyone just using either, a putty on one hand or a NHL 3.5 on the other. It's kind of, well, that's, that's all you got. It's, but then we've got such a huge range. Yeah. Um, and when you look at what's originally there, that's good. That gives you, I mean, they knew what they were doing. So if you look at what's, um, what's originally there, then you can really see how hard it is because some of the putties uh, with stone dust that I've used have gone actually so hard um, when they've got a chance to carbonate, um, it's quite surprising. It's uh, and the problem with NHLs is that each manufacturer manufacturer are so different to one another mm-hmm. in compressive strength. Um, even though they say they're a three point five, to get that rating, they're sat in a lab and they probably mix um, mix it a one to one with a sand um, and dry it artificially really quickly to get to those levels of strength, a lot of the times they're a lot, a lot less than the rating, mm. but they vary so much. It's, it's really down to feel and getting an understanding of the material and yeah. seeing what you've, what you've got and experienced and just saying, right, we're going to use, we're going to use this because that's what we've either been told to use or um, because it says lime on the packet. <laughs> yes. I think uh, another issue with the the testing is that, uh, it's all set up for concrete testing. And so the hardness, from my understanding at least, is that it's measured at 30 days is like the final the final testing. And lime is carbonating for years. Yeah, uh, a millimetre a month. Yeah. So, so you know, for 30 days, it's nothing. Yeah, you've only no. just... So, so you know, these, these NHL, even NHL you know, 2 is going to be vastly harder than they think it is. Yeah, especially if you, if it's mixing a, a um, with a really clean sand um, that's you might have a, a two to one or a two point five to one aggregate sand ratio. Yeah, I mean I've had I've I, I yeah like you say it, it feels really sad to say it, but I I keep bits of lime like in the van, lumps of lime in the van, and it's people are just disgusted by my van generally. But yeah, I've got my lumps of lime like on the dashboard and stuff, and just testing at, and it just some some of them go so hard. But then I've got bits of lime that I've taken from. I haven't chiseled it out or anything bad. I've just sort of, it's been lying around in historic sites and I've, you know, oh yeah, I'm having that in the van (laughs) to compare. And some of that that's um, historic mortar that can be up to 900 years old is, is again, really hard. Mm. So, I mean, but that was fine. It's fine if you're using it with, with something that's, with stone that's really hard. I mean, that's, that's fine. It's, um, and it's, it's useful because a lot of the harder stuff, it might, it might um, not allow moisture to, um, to come through it in, in drops as a solid thing, but it is completely vapor permeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and even some of these older cements that I've seen that are maybe 80 years old that are rendered on some like around Malvern. Um, and a lot of these, um, 
old buildings with cement renders that's probably about 80 years old um, with these beautiful string courses and ornate de- detailing. Um, and they're not damp. They're um, until they get painted with plastic paints a lot of the time. But even, even so, they're, the plastic paint bubbles off and moisture can escape and they still work quite well with these quite soft bricks. So they do, there is vapour movement. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, we do need to be careful with using things that are too hard. But at the same time, there's also, we need to be careful with just using, like I've, I've spent years just using lime putties um, and and then had similar failures and, and issues with um, with that as well. So, yeah. um, well, you've mentioned hot lime a few times there. Uh, that seems to be certainly in the historic uh, building world. It's like uh, the, the yeah, in thing. It is. It's you know so fashionable right Which now. Which is the problem. It's just like we're. It's just like oh, we're gonna we're using we're just using putties because that's a historic. That's historic, but it's not because um, those putties. The original putty was. I mean, it was cooked in a kiln. Um, a stone-built kiln with um, uh, probably, may, I don't know enough about it, but maybe 50-50 with, with um, charcoal, which when burnt um, is a pot slant. So it's making it hydraulic. And you've probably also got all sorts of um, impurities going in there as well, sort of clays, and it's going to be a really dirty process. So you're not going to be getting a clean material out of that. It's going to be highly so many different pots lands in there then it's going to come to site it's going to be mixed on site um with more dirty materials that are, that are really pozzolanic as well um so when we think we're just using putty is like that's the historic one that's that's the only thing we can use um, nhls are just cement um but we're, it's being made like pure limes are really cleanly made in gas kilns with no contaminants, it's just that's not that is not a historic mix. Mm-hmm. It's completely different, um, which is why. Uh, and I love using lime putty; it's fantastic because it's like blotting paper. Like it just any condensation, it can't occur. It will just be absorbed and released. It's a beautiful material, but you can't use it for everything. Um, and because it's like a blotting paper, it's it just soaks stuff up. It's um, and now it's kind of. I don't know if because they've had some issues with putty and stuff. Now the next, the next, next thing, thing is 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 lime putty. That's what we've got used for everything. Not lime putty, hot lime. Yeah. But again, I think a lot of people that are using it are using are trying to put sort of pozzolans in it and dirtier mixes um, because I think it um, it doesn't do too well just just with clean sands. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's such a – you really need to know what you're doing and you really need to have, be, have, have experimented with um, different mixes, different aggregates um, to understand what it's going to do because there's, there's such a high element for um, for getting it – for changing it um, and getting different mixes every time. I think we need to be careful. I think it takes quite an experienced person to – to know how it's being affected by different things and how it should be working. So I do, I, I love it that it's, I mean, a proper true historical mix would be a really dirty, um, really dirty hotline mix full of clay, full of all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, but there's, there, we, like we say, we've got this whole range of materials that we can use, but we just need the experience to understand where we're going to use them. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, so you touched on uh, your courses earlier. What's um, like? Who are the? Who are they mainly aimed at? Are they for homeowners or are they for for builders? Well, we've been doing crossing over and um, and doing it for homeowners and trade all in one. And they've been. I mean, we've had um, we've had a few where we've had um, it's nearly been fifty fifty, um, and it's worked really well. We've had a lot of the um, the, the plasterers sort of helping the homeowners with the sort of skill of plastering and then a lot of the um sometimes well the trade isn't just the plaster it's the architects and um and surveyors mm-hmm. um so um yeah it's been really good so it's, it's been a really nice crossover because we were going to try and run them separately but 
they seem to have seem to have worked really well where everyone's kind of um kind of swapping information and, and helping yeah. each other and um but I've, I've really enjoyed it i love some of the um the, the people that have turned up that have never touched a hawk and trowel before and i've in two days we've gotten to put on a, a base coat roll it up quite nicely um put a top coat on float it um and trowel in um putties um put, and thin putty mixes to get really beautiful finishes that it's really re- rewarding for me to see to see that and i think everyone that's come on it has, has ended up doing a, at least a decent sized section um of really nice plaster so if they did a patch repair in their own home mm-hmm. they could have got it perfect so um nice. it's, it's, although it's taken me sort of 20 years because i'm i'm self-taught i've never unfortunately never worked with an old lime master or i was listening to um your podcast with emily reynolds i was just like oh, wow if only i could have spent some time with some 70 year old masters that would have been amazing but yeah. i had to kind of find my way through constant mistakes and and uh, and picking up things along the way so it's kind of something i've kind of honed over time and then i see somebody that's never picked up a trail before and get a beautiful finish and it's like wow <laughs> wish I wish I could have started there. Yeah, um, lucky but, buggers. Yeah, it's, it's it's nice to see that 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 they're doing it, and and everyone's so kind of into it, and, uh, and and excited to go back and sort of and be able to sort of do some work on their own homes and understand it a bit more. It's it's definitely quite re- rewarding. Yeah, and do you think? Uh, well, what do you think the reason for the homeowners? wanting to take this on a lot of people are struggling to find contractors that will that will do it either everyone's so busy and that there's such long lead times and i think we're booked up for the next year um so we've just stopped doing quotes because i mean with lockdown i did have a few more people that i was working with um but with lockdown we've wanted to keep it a bit smaller so now they're doing their own thing and I'm, I'm just working with a labourer um, and then we're outside and, and just minimising sort of so much contact. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's just finding either people that are experienced enough to do it and know what they're doing and, and give them um, sort of comfort that they understand, they know that they know what they're talking about or people are just so busy. Yeah. Um, and so- a lot of these jobs are just, um, patching or doing one room and and after they come on the course I think they're quite uh, quite confident to go away and be like right I am going to do a whole wall and I, th- I know that I can get it somewhere near and I think it was the I was listening to the, the podcast with you and um, Will Standwicks about he mentioned he'd seen some of the most beautiful plastering he's seen he'd seen people do that were complete amateurs and either overworked it or it had that texture to it and it was some real beauty and like yeah why would you want it to look like perfect gypsum because you Mm -hmm. see some of the some of the kind of venetian plaster in these days it's just it it does look very similar to somebody that's just like had a go and like thought oh well i just keep filling it until it's (laughs) nearly flat and it looks beautiful so yeah i think um actually had my dad up yesterday yesterday yeah and then i just haven't had enough time to give him help with some plastering so i was like right come down and and we'll do a we'll do a little bit on my wall and stuff and uh and yeah so um so he's gone away so he's going to give it a go and it's yeah it's just nice to see it's great because that's yeah. what kind of building should be much more accessible for the people that live in them because it always used to be you know people a lot of the time people used to whack up their own buildings farm sheds and stuff and um it is it is and should be that simple yeah um, but it's kind of been the sort of modern building and modern materials it's kind of you can only touch it if you're if you're trade i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Marvelous. That was great. I really enjoyed geeking out with Ben. Um, so thanks very much to Ben for taking the time and to Kate for setting up the conversation. For me, I think the take-home message, other than get rid of your gypsum plaster, uh, is that with all these variations of types of lime, clean sand, dirty sand, adding this, adding that, testing is really needed for what you have locally. So my local unwashed sand might give different results to Ben's local unwashed sand. So assume nothing. And oh yeah, so Ben and I waffled on for a bit longer um, about fermenting clay and lime mixes. And we also spent some time comparing and discussing some of the bagged lime products that are out there. That extra chat is available on the Building Sustainability Patreon site. That is patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. To get access to that, you can name your own price and get access to that chat and loads more. In fact, there is bonus content from the Lloyd Kahn episode, Full Grown. Uh, there's a whole episode with Wibs um, about breathing. Uh, there's more from Faye Blake. Uh, there's the full four interviews from the Earth Building trainees. Uh, there's a whole Will Stanics bonus episode. Uh, more from Zukita on Earth Floors. And some more from Nick Hayes about the uh, trespassing and right to roam. And speaking of Nick Hayes, if you sign up to the Patreon in February, I'll send you a Nick Hayes illustrated postcard to say thank you. Okay, the final thing, as promised, a few months ago I told you that I had switched my bank account to the ethical bank, Driodos. Well, I have just found out that if you use my sign-up link, which is in the show notes, you get a free £60. Not only that, but I get a £25 donation to a charity of my choice. Fantastic. And we both get to feel great about taking our money out of banks who are investing it in horrible things that we want nothing to do with. Uh, so, yes, I'm not getting anything from this. I'm just keen to encourage people to uh, store their money somewhere where it's doing some good. Okay, that is it for me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If this is your first time, do subscribe. Uh, you can find us anywhere where you normally get podcasts. Until next time, all the best. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.